The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 202 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, I'm pleased to announce that TF7 sneakers are still out there. They're awesome. I love them. Super comfortable. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. I'm excited about it, folks, because they're meant to honor all of those who run the crisis on a daily basis and recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. My hope is that when you see or wear the Task Force 7s, you get the confidence to run your own crisis and know you're not alone. At Task Force 7, we run a crisis together. So, you know, you're part of the TF7 family. Check them out. Aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 201, Securing the Metaverse. We had... Uh, Vice President of IT Business Applications for Siena, Mr. Hassan Talukdar, joined me to discuss the future of collaboration technologies. Hassan shared his experiences in deploying immersive collaboration solutions, as well as driving technology adoption and augmenting business processes through various virtual environment use cases. We also discussed the future security challenges of managing a virtual identity in the metaverse. And we ended the show with Hassan giving advice on leadership and how to manage teams remotely. All this and much, much more on episode 201 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, I'm excited for another guest tonight, folks. We got another great guest, financial sector CISO Raj Badwar will be joining me on the show. Raj Badwar's 25 years of experience in IT and cybersecurity industry. He's held several cybersecurity leadership roles in the industry. CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer at Voya Financial, Global Head of Security at AIG, Chief Technologist at BAE, BAE Systems, and Vice President of Cybersecurity at Bank of America. He's also held a top secret security clearance from the U.S. Department of Defense. Raj is a Director and Secretary at the National Technology Security Coalition, a member of the Rutgers University, Pace University, and Ithaca College's Cybersecurity Advisory Boards, and an advisory adjunct to the Spark Institute. He also serves on the Customer Advisory Board of Venify, the CXO Trust Council of Cloud Security Alliance, and the CISO Advisory Council for Infosys. Raj is a certified information system security professional, a certified ethical hacker, and a FINRA licensed securities professional. He's co-authored 14 security patents, written security articles for magazines, and authored two security books, and is currently working on his third. Raj graduated from George Washington University with a MS in Information Systems Technology, and from Karnatak University with a BS in Electrical and in Electronics Engineering. It's my pleasure to introduce financial sector CISO, my buddy, Raj Badwar. Raj, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, pal. Hey, Andy, and nice to be here. I'm happy to be, uh, talk to you uh, again. Yeah, man, it's so good to catch up. It's been a while. You know, we spent so much time working together at AIG, and you've gone off and done some other great things in the financial sector. And uh, look, you know, it's still hot and popping right now out there in the vulnerability world. 
right? Hot off the presses. Long four J is, is, is taking up a lot of time for everybody. You know, what's, um, you know, what are the lessons learned you think from, from this one? I think, uh, Andy, the lesson is that, you know, you've got to really stay, you know, uh, and keep uh, mediating all the, and patching all the vulnerabilities that are out there, right? Because as you know, there's been a lot of chatter about the Log4j web shell and remote code execution vulnerability, right? And really that has caused a lot of commotion and problems in the industry. So so I I think the fundamentals are that we've got to patch for our vulnerabilities. We've got to look for zero days and be nimble to be able to recover from these as soon as these are found. So what makes this one so different? I think what makes this different, Andy, is that, you know, uh, this is, a, you know, as what we call it in our world is a, is a web shell uh, with the capability for RCE, which is a remote code execution. So a web shell basically provides the capability to open a remotely accessible command shell on a remote server, like a web server, an application server. And this remote access capability makes this the cyber attacker technique of choice to remotely execute malicious code, install malware, exfiltrate data, and that's why it makes it very dangerous. Yeah, man, it's just, I mean, so frequently widespread. I mean, it's, it's you know, the number of vulnerabilities. I mean, our t- you know, we're talking to folks in the industry, right? They're just running frantic for a lot of them trying to close this up, you know, as fast as possible. You're already seeing tons of attacks happening out there because it's already you know, researchers are hitting it, everybody's scanning for it. I mean, it's, it's just basically, you know, an arms race in essence, right? Yeah. Yeah. So look, man, you, you've been, you've been CISO in the financial services now for, for, for quite some time, you know, what's, what's the one existential risk faced by, you know, the organizations that are just having to, you know, having to go run around frantically patch. Andy, one of the, you know, have been there, done that for a long time. And one risk that we CISOs, you know, and other risk professionals really feel is an existential risk to our community, right? To the firms that we work for is ransomware. Um, And maybe, you know, some other kinds of advanced malware. So that is the risk that we really need to think about. You know, it's interesting, you know, we were at AIG together, you know, ransomware was the, you know, (laughs) it was the one thing that was jamming up the cyber insurance market, right? I mean, they were first time they were experiencing that cross border, cross sector, you know, threat where they couldn't mitigate, um, you know, hedge their bet, right on the risk. And it was killing, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, of that, you know, in terms of like the, you know, the soft, the, the vulnerability being so far spread that, you know, the cyber insurance market, it's going to hit every industry, right, around the world. Um, you know, how do you think the insurance markets are going to kind of handle this stuff going forward? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, like the insurance market really ha- is very scared of the ransomware vulnerabilities from the payouts that they have been doing because very large institutions have been, you know, breached. As If you read the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, right, so they are trying to make sure that they have a good mitigate, uh, good, uh, you know, quantification of the risk for a given firm they're trying to insure, right? And that's why the old way of, you know, like assessing the risk, you know, by filling, you know, static documents, you know, and saying, you know, and basically, you know, the assertions made by the companies themselves of how secure they were is no longer flying. 
And the, the, the insurance providers now want to do dynamic analysis of risk, and they want to get a good understanding of the security controls that are actually implemented before they give underwrite you a policy. And that's how, you know, what the trend I've seen. So with regards to like, you know, systemic risk, I mean, we, you know, we've got Log4j now, obviously ransomware is there constantly. Um, you know, solar winds, you know, kind of hit hard for folks. You know, do you, do you think we've, we as an industry have kind of recovered from solar winds yet? Andy, I think that, you know, at least the, the tactical recovery has happened because now we know like who are the entities that were impacted, right? And they have taken, you know, all the, you know, the forensic examination analysis has been done and uh, a lot of remediation activity has happened. So tactically, we have recovered from solar winds. But having said that, the whole, you know, third party risk, uh, the whole supply chain risk is still out there, right? So we still have to really make sure that the next solar winds doesn't happen, right? Because the way this went about was that uh, this was, you know, kind of sort of uh, came into fruition because of a dependency and namespace confusion attack, which basically enabled the usage of malicious software libraries to be packaged with applications as they were being built. And that's how backdoors were implemented. And that fundamental capability, that risk, you know, is still out there. So we really have to still make sure that we have the security controls being implemented, right? Uh, so that we can catch the next solar winds, the next backdoor, and some tactical remediations. Andy, as you know, are out there, like, you know, implementing DNS sinkholing or, you know, deploying kill switches, looking for, you know, IOCs over the wire, and using, you know, semi-supervised or unsupervised machine learning algorithms, you know, to actually detect this risk. But we eventually, you know, all of us have to do a better job of better managing, you know, our third party or supply chain risk. And we all have to look towards, you know, zero trust based implementations with least privileged access and continuous authentication. Or, you know, as even if you look in the presidential directive, ensuring that an SBOM which is like a software bill of materials is, is available for every software component and module that we have in our ecosystems. So, you know, it's interesting because I do wonder, you know, we, you know, we talked about tactically recovering, right. But do you think the practitioners have recovered yet? Like folks have been running around from big thing to big thing and there's just no stopping, right? Like, how do you think, you know, practitioners are doing right now? Like what's the, what's the, you know, the pressure cooker, the rev meter. Like, I do feel like, you know, the burnout, like where, where do you think people are right now? Um, you know, having to deal with kind of major, major, you know, vulnerabilities and attacks, like such a frequency, the frequencies is so much more now. Yes. I mean, Andy, that you have a point there, the practitioners, you know, folks like ourselves, right. I mean, we have, gone from vulnerability to vulnerability. And that's what leads to a lot of the times tactical remediations, right? And because we are, you know, again, constantly under the pressure, like you're saying, and that's why sometimes the strategic remediations are difficult to do, right? Because, you know, as people are recovering from solar winds and other ransomware attacks are going on in the industry, right? Then this log4j thing has happened. Now people are frantically patching, testing, 
making sure that that vulnerability can be exploited, right? So that's what has led to a lot of burn and churn, even in the industry. Uh, and that is where I think that, you know, we have to really think about the strategic remediations so that this whole tactical remediation stuff has to eventually stop. So uh, you do have a point there that, you know, uh, I think the practitioners all have not recovered because they are still going from vulnerability to vulnerability. And that is leaving some weaknesses still out there in the, in the community, in the industry that could still be exploited by the cyber attackers. Yeah, man, I think this is a fun thing to explore. But hey, we got we to gotta take a quick break. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with financial sector CISO, Raj Badwar. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with financial sector CISO, Raj Badwar. Raj, man, you know, we, we started to talk about Log4j, ransomware, solar winds. Um, you know, I'd love to get your take, though, Amy. What do you, with regards to Log4j and ransomware, like, what, what do you think we can do? What are the steps? What's the next steps, man? Right. So, Andy, there are... For the log4j one, which is front and center at the moment, there are three main vulnerabilities that have cropped up, right? The first one is basically, you know, the log4j, the unpatched version of it will allow an attacker to do a remote code execution, right? And the other two that have been discovered that uh, have been patched is basically that, you know, uh, the patch, you know, it can also be used to launch a denial of service attack. So, so those are the ones that are front and center. And what I recommend is that before you do anything for Log4j, right, if you're a cybersecurity practitioner out there, you must check that if you're l- running Log4j 1.x. If you are, then you are not impacted. Uh, although 1.x really needs to be upgraded to 2.x because 1.x is really out of, uh, you know, uh, out of support and no security patches are being issued by Apache. But if you indeed are running Log4j 2.x, you must first check if you are using something called the log4j-core um, jar, which, by the way, most applications do use that. So you should verify that. If you indeed are using that, then you are probably vulnerable. So what you must then do is think about remediations and mitigations. So for remediation, you should check that if you're running Java 8, you should immediately upgrade to log4j version 2.17.0. That will really mitigate, remediate the risk of remote code execution. Um, if you're running Java 7, then you should upgrade to the, uh, the version of the log4j jar as a 2.12.2. And if you're running Java 6, well, then you know, there isn't any mitigation really available. All you can do is you can remove the JNDI lookup class from your class path. So I think those are the remediations available. There are some mitigations also available. For example, you should start looking for indicators of compromise because to remediate, to upgrade these jar files requires a lot of testing, right? So before you upgrade these things in production, you have to do a lot of testing, verify that you haven't broken the applications. So while all of that testing is going on, you should obviously make sure that you, know, you can talk to your security team to go look for indicators of compromise. In, and especially if you have a WAF, and if those IOCs fire, you can actually block those remote calls that may be coming from outside. So that could be a mitigation. The other mitigation could be that there is something called a pattern layout in the logging configuration of Log4j. So you could replace in that pattern layout something called the context lookups with a thread context map pattern. And that will remediate this. So I think these are the tactical things you should do now remediate wherever possible, mitigate while you're thinking about the remediation for Log4j. So, so I think that is what I would recommend, Andy, for uh, the Log4j stuff. For ransomware and other things, I think that, you know uh, a lot of that has already been said in the community. But I think the fundamentals there, Andy, are is 
that we all as a community have to patch our vulnerabilities, right? We have to patch them, you know, as these are discovered, the criticals, the highs, the mediums, right? We've got to patch, patch, patch. We've got to harden our services, right? Turn off any kind of, uh, you know, uh, services or ports or protocols that are not being used. We should turn them off. We should also have good endpoint discovery and visibility. So that, you know, we have discovery capability on our endpoints. Um, we should implement wherever possible, you know, some macro or micro network segmentation. Um, and, you know, to really cap it all, we should make sure that at least to protect ourselves from ransomware, that we have good backups, backups that are air-gapped so that in case if there were to be a ransomware infestation or attack, we can successfully and quickly recover from backups rather than have the backups themselves be impacted as well. So I think that should give you some ideas about the Log4j and ransomware mitigations, Andy. Yeah, I appreciate it, Raj. I mean, look, super, super important advice, right? So it's interesting. I was sitting here listening to talk about it. You know, it kind of brings me back to, when we, you know, when we get into the boardroom, right? You get into the, you talk to the CEO and, you know, they're asking about Log4j and they were asking about solar winds or pick, pick whatever major deal we're messing with, right? And you get into this now, like we talk about burnout, like, how do you think they're feeling, right? Like, what are they, they're going to be like, when's enough enough? Like, do we have to keep investing in this? Like, you know, what, I, I feel like on the executive level, you know, every time there's a major version of, you know, a major incident, major, you know, cyber crisis um, that's global and systemic like this, you know, it, it just kind of makes it so hard for executive teams to think about like, man, what do, what am I going to be done investing? Like how much more do I have to do is like, how do I manage this? Like what kind of advice would you give, you know, to, to executives? I know you, you know, you help startups and all, you know, you're always really involved in the community and, you know, giving advice. Like how would you talk to senior leaders in companies on the business side of this, you know, around getting them to continue to pay attention, not get drowned out by the news um, and, you know, continue to drive investments into security strategies Andy, I think that is a very valid and a fair question. Uh, the reality of the matter is that, you know, all the board level uh, execs of all the various firms, financial sector, defense sector, and other sectors, right, are very scared of these attacks because they read the news. They see what an attack like this can do to the business, can do to the stock, can do to their reputation, can do to the employee morale, right? So, so I think that they are very worried about this and they do need good advice. And I think in the cybersecurity business, Andy, as you know, we've been doing this for a long time, is that we are basically in the risk mitigation business, right? We try to remediate the risk. If we can't remediate it, we try to mitigate it. And if we can't mitigate it, we try to transfer that risk. So we have to really go to the, the boards and the C-levels and really give them a strategy about, okay, how are we going to manage this risk for the firm that we are custodians of, right? And we have to really also talk about you know, like giving them plans where we strategically implement mitigations or controls rather than doing the tactical jumping around that sometimes security professionals are doing, right? We got to give them, like, and that's why I was talking about earlier about zero trust-based controls. So if we have zero trust-based controls implemented, then sometimes we may not be subject to this risk that may be coming from these various attacks. Like if we had a good zero trust environment, Log4j is not a big problem. But if we don't, then obviously we do have to worry about it. So I think that's what we really need to think about is we go to the C-level execs, the board, 
members and we give them our, our vision of how we can control these vulnerabilities, the, these, you know, these weaknesses through zero trust based implementations strategically rather than doing tactical implementations. Yeah. Great, great point, Raja. I mean, I, it, it's so true, right? I mean, it, some of this stuff isn't a problem for some companies and other companies are just, you know, they're running out their hair on fire, you know? Um, and, and it's really because of what you, what you just stated. So, you know, in terms of managing risk, you know, we, we've obviously over the last 21 months, you know, with the pandemic, everyone's been working remotely. Um, you know, what additional controls do you think we need to kind of think about to help manage the risk of, of remote work? Uh, Andy, that is a, again, a very important question because the entire world, you know, at some point in time in the last 24 one months, you know, a lot of the folks, like 90% of them may have been working remotely, right? So the security professionals really went above and beyond and make sure that there was end-to-end encryption available, right, at the network layer uh, by providing of a secure network connectivity through VPN and VDI and other schemes, right? So I think that all happened and the, really the proof is in the pudding. As you have seen that, you know, majority of the firms in the world have survived and done pretty well with remote work. Having said that, you know, the risk is a little bit higher. So there are some additional controls that we should consider implementing. One such control, what I call this, is called dynamic host checking. So what that means is that as a remote host, whether it's a mobile device, it's a laptop, it's a desktop, it's your BYOD device, is trying to con- connect to a corporate network, a dynamic test is generally or can be conducted on that device to verify that is that device fully patched? Does it have uh, you know, uh, like malware signatures up to date? There isn't anything else shading going on on the device, right? So a dynamic check is done. And if a certain risk threshold is exceeded, then they, the connectivity to the corporate network is, is d- denied. And then they obviously are given you know, pointers into how they can remediate some of that risk that was discovered. Yep. So I think that this is not a static check. This is a dynamic check. And that's why it comes in very handy. And you know, it can also look at which IP address you're coming from, which location you're coming from, what, what network connectivity did you use? So lots of other good things can happen. And there are commercial vendors that are already out there that is providing this capability. So that is uh, one control I, am, I recommend people think about uh, implementing. The other thing is, you know, some basic endpoint hygiene should be considered as lots of folks are working remotely from their houses. Basic things like, you know, disabling dual homing or split tunneling, right? A lot disabling the capability for people to be on multiple networks at the same time, right? So I think those controls, wherever useful or applicable, should be considered. And the last thing, Andy, I would talk about is that you know, uh, all of us uh, in the security community and even the business community should know about this is that we should all get better visibility into the dark web. Because if, you know, with this whole remote work scheme, a lot of, if there's any exfiltration of data, a lot of this may end up on the dark web. So we should have the capability to see, okay, for our given firms, you know, is any of our data there, any of our customer data there, employee data there, credentials are there, certificates, right, that may have been exfiltrated out there or not. So I think we should get visibility into the dark web and good uh, active alerting so that if something like that were to happen, that we take appropriate actions. Yeah, man. Look, I, that's a, it's, it's such good insight, right? Because, I mean, it's just going to continue. I mean, especially with Omicron right now, and you can start to see the trends of folks whose things are starting to get shut down again. Um, you know, so we're going to continue to be pushing 
people's RTOs are going to continue to get pushed out further. Um, you know, so this is not going anywhere anytime soon. The, the other thing that's not going anywhere anytime soon is the use of APIs, right? Like all business integration done through API, right? How, how can we make that threat, that landscape that, um, you know, more secure? Right. And yeah, that is, a, you know, a fantastic point to really discuss because, you know, API integration is, is the future of all integrations now, right? So all the modern digitally transformed applications and ecosystem really now has been enabled by web services and microservices. And both of these capabilities, these technologies are all driven by APIs, right? So making sure that the API world, the APIs are protected is very, very important, right? And the reality of the matter, Andy, is that, you know, the microservices or even the web services, you know, of a decade ago or the microservices of the current modern era are still vulnerable to basic web application attacks like, you know, cross-site scripting or cross-site request forgeries or SQL injection, right, or command injection and otherwise. So I think they are still vulnerable to this. And then obviously there are other API issues that I'll talk about. So you know, just to prevent the, the legacy attacks on microservices, we really need to, you know, as security professionals talk, need to talk about implementing WAFs, which is a web access firewalls to prevent these legacy attacks, right? For even being in the conversation. And then maybe we should also consider like, you know, certain modern capabilities like SAST and DAS, like, you know, static analysis of source code or dynamic analysis of source code so that these vulnerabilities that could be exploited at the API level are not even there. They are detected, they are fixed, right? And some, you know, the modern things like RASP, which is runtime protection of, you know, making sure that any uh, vulnerability that is available at runtime can be protected. So I think that's the legacy world that we should make sure that in the API world, the legacy um, you know, problems that we've had 20 years ago, 10 years ago, are not really something that we need to worry about. We need to make sure that those go away. And then when you start thinking about APIs, how do we protect them? If you see in the API world, Andy, the one thing that is now very prevalent is something called an API key. So API key, which is like a shared key that is used to really make API calls from outside in a B2B or B2C world, and we've got to make sure that these API keys are properly protected. So some, you know, uh, recommendations I can give is that we start thinking about like, you know, API gateways. So all APIs for a given firm in the financial sector and defense sector and other sectors really need to be exposed to an API gateway, right? And so API key, you know, so API is authenticating to an um, API key. It should first hit the API gateway and then the API gateway will make a backend connection to whatever service you're trying to get to. The other thing is that if you must use an API key as a developer or as a business entity, then you must really use HMAC protection. And HMAC stands for hash-based message authentication code. So it actually strengthens the API key and it prevents it from being you know, exfiltrated or misused or rerun. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, you know, in this whole microservices invocation world using APIs, we should really now go uh, with something called SSL or TLS certificate pinning, where we should pin the certificates, um, you know, with using public and private keys so that, you know, only if you are coming from, uh, you know, you present the certificate, only then connectivity is provided. 
so a rogue connections from you know rogue uh, ro- um, you know malicious entities or whatever would be uh, would be denied right so that's one recommendation i can give andy the other thing is that we should really think about conditional access that even though you may have an api key you know you're authorized to make a call to an api there should still be some conditional access to say you know what you have the key but you're coming from an ip address that is actually suspicious right so the connectivity could be blocked so i think those are some of the things that we should really think about protecting you know our api keys and then you know quickly i'll mention two more things is that you know uh, instead of using api keys we should really think about to protect our apis start using authentication tokens like oauth 2.0 Uh, or JWT tokens, which uh, stands for JSON Web Tokens. These are a lot more secure tokens. They are difficult. They have short lifespans, uh, so you can't really do replay attacks with them, and they are difficult really to uh, to replicate or to copy or to break. Right. So, you, uh, so I think those are some of the recommendations, Andy, I can give on how to really protect ourselves in this API-centric world. Yeah, man. If you think about right, I mean, between API security, the zero trust framework and just basic security hygiene man you would, companies would be in such a really great place you know when all this stuff breaks out i mean it's such great advice all right raj we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors but don't go away folks we'll be right back with more from financial sector ciso raj badwar whatever you do don't go away you're listening to task force 7 radio the voice of cybersecurity Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with financial sector CISO Raj Badwar. Raj, buddy, you know, you're becoming famous every day with these books you got out now. Tell me a little bit about, you know, you got two books out, you got a third one in the works. Um, How did it all come about and what are you working on? Yeah, Andy, uh, you know, I've been in this industry for a very long time, right? As you have been, we have all taken our our career paths into cybersecurity. You all came from various backgrounds. I came up as a security engineer, security architect, right? Um, then I got into security, like, you know, architecture, I did security operations and engineering. So I've been doing this for a long time. And I really wanted to get, you know, all the knowledge that I have learned over these years out to the community. So that's where that was the genesis of the two books that I wrote in the last couple of years. The first book, Andy, is called the CISO's Next Frontier, AI, Post-Quantum Cryptography and Advanced Security Paradigms. And this is really, you know, uh, you know, it stems from the usage of, you know, uh, AI in cybersecurity use cases, because, you know, we talk about it quite a bit, but really, what does it really mean for cyber? How can we use artificial intelligence and machine learning? I talk about a little bit about post-quantum cryptography in there is, you know, how to protect ourselves from potential quantum computing attacks in the future, right? What steps can we take now? Uh, you know, start using quantum resistant algorithms or crypto systems, and how can we then prepare for a future attack with using quantum safe algorithms? And then I get into uh, and and the, the the traditional security realm of data security and application security and network security and Active Directory and and you know advanced malware and cloud computing and cloud security. So there are lots of uh, you know interesting uh, security topics in this first book that I wrote. Very technical. It's for the security engineer, the security architect, the security leader, the risk professional, right? Then after that, I really wanted to talk about, you know, cybersecurity leadership. Because you know what? Cybersecurity is not just about technology. It's also about leadership, right? If you don't have good leadership, then all the implementations we may do may really not give us the best return of investment, right? And may not mitigate all the risks. So that was the genesis for the second book, which is the CISO's transformation, security leadership in a high threat landscape. So it talks about, again, the challenges that CISOs have faced, uh, what are the next generational challenges, how to really manage um, a security organization, uh, how to really make sure that we uh, use the investments that are given to us in a secure manner, in in a manner that we get the right investments. And also, you know, like, 
uh, how to really go from uh, the journey that I took of being an engineer to an architect to an operations person in the security arena, right? And I have some interesting topics in there, Andy. I talk about the, you know, the liabilities that CISOs may, may be taking, you know, when they are obviously, uh, you know, going about uh, remediating all these vulnerabilities and securing all the environments. But there are some liabilities, you know, regulatory compliance, and so how to protect themselves from those liabilities, as well as I've talked about bias-free lexicon, things like, you know, there are some social ills that may be out there, you know, that we all may have been using, like, you know, certain lexicon that we learned in our engineering colleges or in our day-to-day discourse and how to eliminate that from our discourse with lexicon that is uh, a lot more socially friendly, is a lot more the right thing to do, right? So, and there are a few other interesting topics in that book. So those are the two books that are out there. They are on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and other places, Andy. And then the third book, which I'm uh, working on is, if you remember in the first two segments when we were talking about, you know, like how to mitigate risk, ransomware, you know, mitigation or lock for jam vulnerability that we discussed or solar winds, the, the common theme there is that one of the things that we could all do is to start thinking about zero trust based securities, like do zero trust based implementations. So the third book is called the CISO's Guide to Zero Trust Security. And it actually will provide details into how to actually do these implementations because, you know, the zero trust has also become a buzzword. So like, how do we implement zero trust at the network layer, inside the application, at the data layer, right? Uh, And various other constructs that are out there. So I'm trying to simplify that for the cybersecurity and risk professional so that they can, you know, again, have some practical guidance in the implementation of zero trust. Man, I really appreciate you going down that journey, man, because it's so, you know, look, if you're, for some folks, I mean, there's just so much out there, right? And, and, and you can't be an expert in everything. Like when you're in the CISO role, like there's just so much you got to, you're accountable for, you got to know. And, uh, you know, what you're doing to help synthesize this down for folks and to make it digestible is, is really appreciated, man. So, you know, what advice would you give, you know, kind of the up and coming security executive. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 